Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to uh, Psalm 143. Glad that you're here this morning. If you're visiting with us, uh, especially want to welcome you. Today will be a little bit different uh, than normal as we come to the end of the year. I thought we'd kind of do a, a little bit of a state of the church address here at the beginning and tie it into our text a little bit. So I'm going to do some in-house stuff and then we'll jump into our text. Um, part of our text this morning from Psalm 143 in verse 3, it says this, For the enemy has pursued my soul, David writes. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Wow, pastor, you picked a really encouraging text for this morning. It is part of our text, sometimes in the the fray of ministry and life. Sometimes it's not just the text, but it's kind of where my heart is at times. And you think of the Apostle Paul when he talked about all the things that he had gone through and shipwrecks and stonings and all these things. And at the end of his list of things that he had gone through, and he says, more than anything, it's his concern for the church. And you think, wow, that's a, that's a pretty bold statement. But if we look at God's word and see the church is God's rescue plan, and I would say that's plan A and there's no plan B, then the church is a serious thing. So uh, as a church, we have some concerns and challenges ahead of them. Uh, we have a budget confirmation, affirmation uh, today. And, you know, we try not to spend more than we take in, but this year we did by quite a bit. And some of that is because we made a conscious choice a year and a half ago to hire an associate pastor of family ministries, and we as a church stepped out in faith, and we've seen some incredible things uh, in Rich's ministry. He's doing a great job over at Evergreen uh, in their club. He, we have a junior high group that is bigger than we have had in years. We've sent more kids to camp this year than we have sent to camp in years we have seen some incredible family ministry things, and it's a joy to work with Rich. And so I say, amen. We took a, took a step of faith, and good things are happening. Now, I will say this. For those of you who've been around a little bit, and we, we worry about money, um, our savings account is way over $30,000 more than when I first got here. Um, in fact, it's, I think, in the range of $50,000 more than when I first got here. So in the last 10 years, we have brought in more than we have spent, okay? This last year, we have spent more than we've brought in. That's, I'm being honest. And we'll make some hard choices moving forward to make sure that we stay uh, more on track as we move forward. But God has blessed this church and will continue to bless this church. We have some changes coming up with the website and different things like that. And every time we have changes, something doesn't work the way it used to. And I promise you in the next few weeks, something won't work the way it used to. And uh, why do we do those things? Well, I'm going to get to that. We have uh, some board changes. New guys coming on the board. We have a smaller board. That's going to uh, create some challenges and things moving forward. We have this assessment coming up, which assessment is going to tell us some things that we're doing right. Yay! And it's going to tell us some things we need to work on. And those are going to be challenging, and they're going to be hard. So why are we doing what we're doing? No, seriously, why are we? No, uh, why are we doing what we're doing? I want to answer that question three ways this morning. 
I want to answer it personally. And then from the text, I want to answer why it's going to be difficult moving forward and why we're going to find victory in Jesus Christ from our text this morning. So let me answer it personally. Why are we doing what we're doing? Because I believe there's more to be done in this city. I believe what we just sang. I believe that we're still here because there are people that need to know Jesus Christ. I believe that God is not done with America. I do not believe that Oregon is hopeless. Some of you believe that, by the way. I don't believe that. And I believe there can still be a revival even in Washington County. I believe there are neighbors of yours that may respond to the gospel in the next few years because of the faithfulness of the churches in Hillsborough and Beaverton, Forest Grove. So why do we do the things that we do? Because I believe, and I hope you believe, that there's still more to be done in this city. Personally, I am making some, uh, and I, sh- I share these to keep myself accountable. For me, moving forward this year, I am choosing courage over comfort. Um, we just actually sang about that in A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Uh, he talks about goods, and what's the word goods and? Yeah. Goods and what? Kindred. Yeah, I don't have any of those, I don't think. But anyway, um, what is he saying? Look, I am choosing to let things of this world go for something more important. I choose forgiveness over being fake. That's my second commitment for this year. You know the difference? We just fake it. Some of you did that at your holidays. It's not biblical, but some of you did it. Choose forgiveness over faking it. That's my personal 2019 moving forward. Sure, all the other ones, losing weight and all that stuff. But these are the ones I'm really focusing on. So those are my personal reasons why we're doing what we're doing. Let's look at the text for this morning. I just read that verse, and I read this uh, psalm about a month ago, and I read through it, and uh, like you, sometimes maybe we don't always connect with the psalm the way that we should. And when we think about it, and we read David saying, um, the enemy pursued me, we can imagine Uh, David being pursued by Saul. We can imagine David being uh, pursued by his son Absalom as he leaves in his later years. If I had to place this psalm, I'd probably place it in his later years. And we can say, man, most of us, and some of you have served in the military and we thank you for that, but most of us probably here have not been pursued by a physical enemy where we're hiding in a cave. And so when we read this, we go, I don't know know that I really relate to this. And I, I read this psalm and I said to myself, well, I guess I'm thankful that I'm not being pursued by an enemy. And then I thought about it for a second. What if the enemy here that David is talking about is Satan, the devil? And then I read the psalm again. And the whole psalm came to life for me. So let me read that psalm, and I want you to think about it as if that's what David is talking about. And then I'm going to show you, I I believe, at least in part, he is. David says in Psalm 143, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. 
For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on that, that, uh, that you have done, all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, uh, and in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. As I said, I, I want to point, I don't think David is just talking about a physical enemy here. And so my point this morning is that the devil does pursue us, but Jesus delivers us. This has historically been looked at as one of uh, the, the old rabbis chose uh, seven psalms that they declared uh, penitent psalms, psalms of forgiveness. And uh, this psalm is a little bit different than the other six in that he does ask for mercy. He does mention his sin, but he doesn't say anything specific. Some uh, commentators, one commentator wrote, I feel like they had six and they wanted one more, so they threw this one in. Um, it is a psalm, obviously, that the, the kind of psalm it is, is, is a prayer. And it's a prayer for God's mercy. And so let's just leave it at that, leave it kind of open um, of what it is. And so three points to the sermon this morning. Who is the enemy? Uh, what is it that David wants? And what is David a uh, appeal to, to get what he wants? What, is, what does he appeal to? All right, so who is the enemy? Uh, David probably had a physical enemy pursuing him. Uh, that was common in David's life, it seems like. Uh, but even that is somewhat under question. When you look at verse 2, he says, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living righteous before you. So notice there is a spiritual aspect to this that David is wrestling with before he says this enemy is pursuing him. And so, uh, what are our physical enemies? But manifestations of the spiritual realities that we are undergoing. Now, let me give you some examples from Scripture. Consider Job, right? We, we're somewhat familiar with the story. Uh, the devil appears before God, and God says, you know, consider my servant Job, and and the, and the devil says, well, you, you just, you put a hedge around him. I mean, why wouldn't he? And so God kind of opens the gate up and he says, okay, let's let, let you have kind of some access to Job. And two foreign armies come and attack and kill his livestock and his servants. Who was that, a physical enemy or was it Satan? 
Well, the devil did it, right? I mean, that's where it was. Two natural disasters happened. Kill his kids, his livestock. Where was that from? He has physical problems from Satan. And then his wife comes and says, curse God and die. So he's got some relational issues. And we know because God has opened up the curtain that these things are happening because Satan is causing them to happen. Consider Peter's warning in 1 Peter where he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Most of us don't go through our day going, looking for where the devil might pounce. But Peter says that it's exactly what it's like. Now, I've got to do some traveling, not a whole bunch, but, you know, when you're in different parts of the world or, you know, different parts, Frank's not here, I was going to make fun of Arizona, or Arizona, <laughs> right? Frank talks about, like, you have to look at your shoes that are in the garage before you put them on because there could be a scorpion in them. Yeah, that's not right. <laughs> I mean, I put my golf shoes on without looking, you know, I, that's scary. Now, there's different parts of the world where you have to look. Now, Peter says, look, there's an enemy that's prowling around that you need to be aware of. Paul says it this way, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He said, look, this is who we're battling. And most of us don't enter into life thinking about this. So I said at the beginning, why are we doing the things that we're doing? Because I believe that God isn't through with this city, that there's more to be done. But I want to be honest that there is opposition to us being effective as a church. And that opposition is clearly spiritual in nature. And it's real. We talked about last Sunday that we, we come to the garden, right? And, and all of a sudden, Adam and Eve are having this discussion with a serpent in a tree. And if you're reading the story like you've never read it before, you've got to stop for a minute and go, where did this serpent come from? Well, right from the beginning, we're introduced to opposition. Consider Jesus' words to Peter. I'm sure he never forgot them. When he turns to Peter and he says what? Get behind me, Satan. Now, what was he saying at that point? He's saying, look, your plan, your idea is not from you, Peter. I'm telling you where it's from. It's right from the pit. There's opposition. I think we need to know a little bit about uh, our enemy. Uh, when I was in seminary, uh, taking uh, the class that covered all this as doctrine, uh, one of the things that I did to, to kind of make it through all the assignments in seminary, I was a youth pastor at the time, full-time, and so whenever I could, I would take an assignment that I had in class, and I'd go to the professor, and I would say, can I turn this into a this assignment, this report, whatever we had to do into some uh, curriculum that I would use for my high school group. And he, oh, that was always a really good one. And so when we were going through uh, Who is Satan, I kind of did this part, and I came up with this thing for my youth curriculum that I, it's just always stuck with me. And I can remember sitting it uh, on the youth curriculum, and it said DAT, D-A-T, 
that's the devil. It was supposed to be catchy for kids. And I've, I've always remembered it, and, it, and I, it still applies today. So that's the devil. This is who the devil is. He's about deception. If you want to know what his role is, he is going to deceive. That's what he's doing in the garden. He is a liar. Jesus said it's, he's a liar, and that's his native tongue. That's how he deceives us. He masquerades, Scripture tells us, as an angel of light. He comes in, he says, oh, here's what you should do. He destroys things. That's who he is. He's a deceiver. Second, Scripture tells us that he is an accuser. In Revelations chapter 12, verse 10, it calls him the accuser of the brethren. Here's a role that Satan constantly plays in your life. You sin. You do, by the way. You sin. And there's a little voice that goes, you'll never be good enough. God can't forgive you. You keep doing this. If people knew, they wouldn't think of you the same way. And you say, oh, I just grew up with a guilty conscience. No. It's actually the work of the evil one. He's the accuser. And you know what the answer to that is? You'll never be good enough. The answer is you're right, Satan. I will never be good enough. But because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, I have been justified. Call me whatever you want. I'm loved by God. I am his child. My sin has been forgiven. Don't try to argue with him. He is a deceiver, he's an accuser, and third, he is the tempter. Matthew 4, verse 3, as Jesus is off in the wilderness, Satan is just described as the tempter came to him. It's like a name. It's who he is, the tempter. Now, please understand, the devil is not anything like God. He is not omnipresent. However, he has an army of demons. I don't think the devil is messing with us. He's got bigger people. But his demons are. And you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to move to the positive here in just a second, but I think they know us better than we know ourselves. They know how to push our buttons. They know our weaknesses. And they keep pushing them. There's opposition. So what does David want? As we go through Psalm 143, let's just kind of let me point out what he's asking God, what he wants. He says in verse 1, hear my prayer. Give ear to it, verse 1. Answer me, verse 1. Enter not into judgment, verse 2. Answer me, verse 7. Show yourself, verse 7. Let me hear of your steadfast love, verse 8. Make known your ways, verse 8. Deliver me, verse 9. Teach me, verse 10. Lead me, verse 10. Preserve me. Cut off my enemies. Destroy my adversaries. These are the things that he asks in these short 12 verses. What does David want? There's three different requests. 
we can break these up into three different categories. To be heard, to be led, and to be safe. First, David wants to be heard. Specifically, he wants God to hear him. Now, why does David want God to hear him? Because he believes, and we need to believe as a church and as individuals, David believes his adversary is great, but he believes there's one that is greater. He believes that he can overcome if God intervenes. So David looks for help. He looks for spiritual help for a spiritual problem. In verse 2, he says, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Look, he recognizes there's a spiritual problem, and he looks for spiritual help. Now, we're in church. That's no big shock to any of you. But let me just say this. That's not all the help that God provides. God intervenes in other ways. And if, if it's just forgiveness of sin, that's incredible and there's enough to praise God for all eternity. But there's more than that that David looks for here. He looks for spiritual help for what is relational issues as well. He keeps addressing his enemies and his adversaries. He says here, my enemy pursues me. That's a relational issue. He says in verse uh, 12, uh, cut off my enemies, destroy the adversaries. There's relational issues that arise in life because there's opposition. And David wants God to intervene. I think most of us understand that we have relational issues. Where do our relational issues come from? Because we're all broken people. We're all broken people. There may be some physical problems that David is crying out for here as well. Spiritual help for physical issues. In verse 4, he says, His spirit fades, his heart within me is appalled, which refers more to an, an emotional, but he, he talks about, look, in verse, go back in verse 3, he has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. David often puts this feeling of when he is feeling just overwhelmed with sin or his enemies, that there is both this emotional, relational issue that is causing him physical pain. And we actually know this to be true. Science has pointed out what stress does to the body. Okay? Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but some of you during the holidays did some eating because there was some great food out. And some of you did some eating because there were some stressful people in the room. And sometimes you don't know which one you're reaching for that cookie. So spiritual help for the emotional issues as well. Answer me quickly, O Lord, verse 7. My spirit fails. He's crying out to God, and he wants God to intervene. But more than that, not only does David want God to intervene, but he believes, we're going to see because of his covenant, that he will. 
Second, David wants to be led. He doesn't just want God to hear him, but he wants God to lead him. And let's uh, uh, look at how God does that. David wants to understand God's character. Um, And he says in verse 5, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. There's things that David is looking at as he looks back at God's past actions. I don't believe what David is saying here is, oh, I remember the good old days. Because if you read Scripture, and some of you are we're coming to the end of this two-year through the Old Testament and through the New Testament twice, um, there's not a lot of periods in Israel's history that were the good old days. If you look back at the good old days in Israel's history, David was part of it. That's about as, David and Solomon is about as good as it got. And so when David is looking back, he's looking back at two things, God's character, who God is. And then second, because of his character, God's actions, what God has done. So what we've asked as a church, that as you're reading through scripture, you ask yourself a few questions. That you journal occasionally, so when you get together with your small group or your discipleship group or your accountability group, whatever it is, and you come back and you look at what you read, we ask a few questions. Who is God? Right? What has he done? Who am I? What am I called to do? And and so David is looking back at who is God and what he has done. David wants to understand God's word. Verse 10, teach me to do your will for you are my God. How do we learn to do God's will? By reading God's word. And so David wants to understand. He wants to be led by God's character, God's actions, God's word. And he doesn't just stop there, but he says, teach me to do your will for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. David doesn't just want to read God's word. He wants to make sure that he knows how to live a godly life. Teach me to do your will. Some of you, as you're reading scripture, just say, man, I just want God to speak to me. I want, don't, don't raise your hand here, but how many of you just, just I mean, I, I want to hear God's voice. Piper tweeted this week, I love this, he tweeted, if you want to hear God's voice, read God's word out loud. <laughs> I, mean, I read that, and I'm like, oh, that hurts. That was a good one. <laughs> yeah, if you want to hear God's voice, read God's word. Now, David wants to to be heard. He wants to be led. And third, David wants to be safe. I mean, he's asking for relief, right? I mean, I love these words. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. You want something? You you need something to pray this week for you and your family this week? Pray verse verse 10. Just, Just keep coming back to verse 10 this week. God, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Right? Is that a good prayer? Yeah. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Do you want that? This is a great prayer for this week. He wants to be safe. But it seems to me that David is not concerned with just the outward attacks 
But what those outward attacks do to the heart? How it affects us emotionally? Verse 12, he says, And in in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies, and you will destroy the adversaries of my soul. He recognizes that these oppositions impact his soul. And so what David wants is that God would protect his heart. I think what David is saying here is, don't let me become weary in doing good. Don't let me become jaded by those who take advantage of our good intentions. Don't let us envy the wicked. Don't let us give up when things don't work out. Or as Jesus taught us to pray, deliver us from evil. He's saying, I understand there's opposition out there. And that opposition ends up affecting my soul, my heart. Protect that. So what David wants is he wants to be heard, he wants to be led, and he wants to be safe. How does David approach God? What does he appeal to? Go back to verse 2. I think we have to wrestle with what David says. It's easy just to kind of Uh, skip over it real quickly. Let me read verses one and two again. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. He's crying out for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, right? Tracking with David here. I mean, this is a great prayer. I'm crying for mercy. I'm appealing to your righteousness, your faithfulness. And then verse two, he says, enter not into judgment with your servants. For no one living is righteous before you. Now, if we want to appeal to God's righteousness, we need to be careful. Because none of us are righteous. He says, give ear to my pleas for mercy and your faithfulness. Answer me in your righteousness. Or in some translations, In faithfulness, answer me in the righteousness. If no one is righteous but God, then asking God to answer in righteousness could be a doomed request. If by righteousness we mean strict adherence to the law, I think by faithful righteousness, what David is saying here is he's appealing to God doing right by his promises, his covenant. David says, you are righteous and you have promised good things. So I'm appealing to that. This came up in our readings uh, in the Old Testament. We're finishing up the minor prophets. That might have been a challenge for some of you. And as we're reading scripture through the minor prophets, there's this dueling thing that's going through each of the minor prophets. Searing judgments talking about them being deported, talking about God uses the term divorce in some of the the prophets. Uh, They're going to be uh, deserted. They're they're going to be dispelled from the land. All these these things that are coming, there's this judgment. But then, as he's talking about all these things, there's this stunning salvation that he keeps referring to. And he continues to bring back 
the promises. And that's what David is doing here. So listen to some of David's words in Psalm 143. He says, you are faithful, righteous, verse 1. No one is righteous before you, verse 2. The enemy pursued me, crushed me, made me sit in darkness. He goes on to say, my spirit fails, my heart is appalled, my spirit fails in verse 7. But I trust in you, verse 8. To you I lift up my soul. I have fled to you. You are my God, refuge, for your name's sake, in your righteousness, steadfast love. I am your servant. These are the things that David pursues, uh, that he refers to. When the enemy pursues us, and when we are crushed by the weight of our own sin, we have a choice. Now listen, when the enemy pursues us, and we are crushed by the weight of our own sin, we have a choice. We can run to God, or we can run from God. David chose to run to God. God has what we need. Part of prayer is that we recognize our total dependence on God. When we come to God, this Psalm 143, all the Psalms, all of Scripture, when you cry out to God, what you are, are doing is declaring your total dependence on God. I can't do this. If you think, as you move into 2019, things are going to be different because you're going to work harder, try harder, be better. We're going to do, there's a process or procedure or whatever it is. It's not going to change until we recognize our total dependence on God. I think that we also need to understand the fight. That there really is an enemy, that he really is pursuing us. In verse 4, David says again, Therefore my spirit, spirit faints within me, my heart within me is appalled. Man, that's the dependence. I, I can't do this. Uh, the fight is bad. And then he says in verse 5, I remember the days of old. I meditate on that, all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you. We need to confess our brokenness before God. The gospel, if I could just say it in just a, a short way, we're all broken. That sin has separated us from God. We can't save ourselves. We are utterly crushed by the enemy. But God loved us so much that he made a way that when we stretch out our hands to God and say, I've had enough, I can't do it, I can't do this on my own. And I love the picture here of the psalmist says, I outstretched my arms to you. It's a sign of giving up, surrender. I picture my little grandkids when they come in the house and they walk up to me and they lift up their hands. They don't want a high five. <laughs> Yet. They want grandpa to pick them up. 
Isn't that what we need to do to Jesus? I surrender. Pick me up. If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. So we trust in God's character and actions. It's the gospel. It's what David is saying here. Look, I am totally dependent on God. I understand there's this fight. I confess my brokenness before you, and I'm going to trust in your character and your actions to save me. And why is God going to do it? Not because of you. I know you think you're really special. But David understands why God's going to do it. God's going to do it to seek God's glory, not our own. He says, do it for your name's sake. That's why God acts for his glory. Now, let me give you some application. And I know sometimes we go quickly through this and we have a few more minutes. And I, I want to emphasize this as we move into 2019 as a church, what this means. We recognize we have an enemy that is pursuing us. And as we move forward in 2019, here's three things at least at this point I think we need to do as a church, individually and as a group, as a church, this is what we need to do if we're going to make it through the hurdles that I mentioned at the beginning. Three things, and I'm calling each of us to do them. Let me be as clear as possible. Sometimes the application is kind of like vague, pick one. This is very specific. All three apply to all of us. Okay? Number one, pray. Right? We recognize our total dependence on God. And so we pray. There's been a few ways that we've been doing that as a church. We have our, our ministry, everybody, every day. And what we are saying is that we want to see people in our church prayed for every day. And we work towards that. We don't do it 100%, but people are getting prayed for regularly in our church. And here's just my frustration. Can I just say this with you, church? I love you. Okay, confession's good for the soul. It's bad for the reputation. But getting prayer requests from you guys it would be easier to get uh, money from the government at this point in time. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not asking for blood. I'm asking you to say, I believe that God is going to do some amazing things in 2019 for his glory, not mine. And I want to see it happen. And so I'm asking, pray something for yourself. Pray for the salvation of somebody close to you. Pray for God to make a change in your life. Let's pray for it. We've already seen some of the things that we've been praying for on a regular basis come through that door. And if you don't want to be a part of that, if you don't want to see God answer prayer, what are you doing here? We pray because we are totally dependent on God. We understand there's a fight we confess our brokenness before God. We trust he can do great things. And we believe that he will be glorified. So let's pray. Another way that we uh, are going to focus on prayer in 2019, starting next Sunday, I'm going to do a series on prayer. And in the bulletin on the back, right above, the, well, where the application action used to be, there's going to be a section that says prayer focus for this week. That as a church, we're going to have a focus for the next two months of what we are praying for as a church together. Now, there's other ways we pray in our small groups. Staff prays over your, your cards that you put in the bulletin every week. There's all sorts of ways that we pray. But it's not enough just for the staff to pray. 
It's not enough for the everybody, everyday team to pray. It's not enough for you just to pray occasionally in your small group when you get together. We are saying as a church, if we're going to see God make changes, that we all are going to pray together consistently to see God work. Second thing that I think we need to do, this is really just amazing theological stuff that I keep come up with. Number two, keep going. If you want to see change, you, not, you need to keep going. Look, I, I've been there, right? We all make New Year's resolutions, you know, until that alarm goes off for you to go to the gym and you're like, it is too cold and too dark outside. I'll do it tomorrow. Where does change come from? It comes with consistently keep going. And so as a church, we need to keep going. We need to finish the assessment process and make the changes that we need to do. That sounds really wonderful when we're talking about it a few weeks before we actually get the assessment. But then when they actually tell us what we have to do, it's kind of like, oh, that's a lot of work. That seems personal. That's going to involve me, not just the pastor. Yes, that's what this assessment is going to be. I was in a CB uh, meeting uh, just uh, last month, and uh, uh, no, they announced kind of the next, uh, locally here, who the next uh, leader of the CB Northwest is going to be, which, by the way, is James Gleason over here at Sunrise. And so I was with a small group of pastors from this area, uh, conservative Baptist pastors, and we were meeting, and we were talking about one of these. I mentioned this assessment. And uh, one of the guys said, yeah, when we took the assessment, uh, this was like five years ago or so. It was a local church around here. I won't name the church. He said, uh, they actually stood before us on that Sunday evening and said, it was the worst church that they had ever assessed. I don't know. Part of me is like, challenge accepted. I don't know. Maybe we can beat that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just, just kidding, <laughs> just kidding. And he said, we set out to do the things that they have said, and their church is radically different and growing. Radically different. We need to keep going. We're going to go through the assessment process, make the changes we need to do, including but not limited to very difficult reconciliation to help this church become more healthy and effective as we move forward. And the third thing, Scripture. All things that we do are supposed to be founded in Scripture. So we need to continue uh, to keep our focus on being in Scripture. Now, some of you might say, well, I did it. I read through the Old Testament. Check that off. I get a star in my chart in heaven. Look, if, if we are going to be a church that impacts the culture in which we live in, we need to understand God's word deeply. And so we're going to keep reading through Scripture. We're going to keep talking about it in our small groups. We're going to keep working together to see what God is going to do. We desire to be a multi-generational church impacting the families inside and outside our doors. We do this by growing in our love for God. When we gather together on Sunday morning, when we gather together in our small groups, when you gather together in your accountability groups, what are we trying to do? We're trying to understand 
who God is, his actions, and grow in our love for him. Why? Because you can't pour out on people what you don't have. You can't pour out from an empty vessel. We get filled up so we can get poured out. We want to pour out that love on people, not just in this church, but in our community. And we want to do that by by intentionally reaching out and making disciples. It'd be interesting to see some of the changes that that come in in the way that we do church in the future. Um, CB Northwest had really emphasized church planning for a number of years, and we get together at meetings, and they said, you guys need to plant a church. I'm like, plant a church? We need to get everybody to show up on Sunday. Look, I, I don't know that, I think church planting happens in Scripture. But the emphasis of Scripture is always making disciples. Now, if we make so many disciples that we need another building, we'll plant a church. But until we start making disciples on a regular basis in a healthy way, what we need to focus on is applying God's word to our life and sharing it with other people. That's making disciples. So I'm calling us as a church to do those three things. Focus on prayer as we move into the new year. Focus on Scripture and applying it to our life and keep going. Now, I, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, maybe some of the elders would have, would have said, man, I really wish he would have mentioned giving in there. Yes. As a church, we need to increase our giving and decrease our spending. I get that. But folks, you shouldn't be giving because I'm twisting your arm. Should be giving because I want to give to God. You shouldn't be giving because you've been around here for a long time and this is your church. You should be giving because He's your God. So as we move into the new year, I'd like to say it's going to be easy. But looking at what's before us and the enemy that pursues us, I don't think it's going to be easy. But as a church, I hope with me you will choose. Courage instead of comfort. That you will choose forgiveness instead of faking it. I'm asking you to join me in prayer, scripture reading, and keep going. And I believe that when the enemy pursues us, Jesus will deliver us. Let's pray. God, thanks for this morning. Thank you uh, for this church and its hundred and 30 plus years in faithful ministry. We recognize that it's not because of the pastors, it's not because of board members, it's not because of the people, it is because of you. And so we humbly submit ourselves before you. God, we recognize unless you build this house, we labor in vain. And so we declare to you that we are weak and broken, that you are good and powerful. And God, we pray that you would work in mighty ways in each person's life in 2019 and beyond. God, we pray that we would see the Spirit move. We pray that we would see people healed. We pray that we would see lives changed. We pray that we would see relationships restored. We pray that we would see ministries grow. God, there is changes that are before us that we don't even know about right now, things that we haven't even considered. 
And even right now, we declare you are bigger than whatever that challenge is, whatever that thing is, whatever that person stepping down from ministry, whatever it is, God, you're bigger. And we pray that we would see in each and every challenge that's before us, you working. We pray that we would work for your glory and not our own. God, I pray for those that are struggling emotionally. God, that you would lift them up because of your grace. God, I pray for those who are struggling financially moving into the new year. God, that you would bless them that they might bless you. God, I pray for those whose relationships are broken in this church, in this community, in their families. God, I pray that there would be restoration that would just amaze them this year and that they would have the courage to stand before the body of Christ and say, I am glorifying God for what he has done. God, I pray that we would not enter into 2019 with a poor, sour, pessimistic attitude, but that we would believe that you are good and that you are great and that you are going to do good and great things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.